Welcome to Wild Art Living, the program about living sustainably and building community in Mendocino County and beyond. This is Johanna Welduck. I bring you this program every other Thursday from 9 to 10 a.m. If you would like to get in touch or if you have program suggestions, you can send me an email, contact at wildoak.org. That's contact at wildoak.org. And today, we've got a couple topics coming up. We're going to be talking about Hearthstone Village in Haiti and what local people are doing to support that. We're going to be talking about the United Disaster Recovery of Northern California and their new center, resource center here in Ukiah. And before we get, uh, and we're also going to be talking about uh, Jen Dalton's new book of Butterflies and Bullies. It's a book for young people. And before we get into all of that, I would just like to uh, share some information with you that I wasn't able to share during this little mini-series about the arts in Mendocino County that um, I was doing. One of the topics that I had um, hoped to share with you was to talk with Kara Starkweather about the Mendocino Dance Project, but because of scheduling conflicts and things, we never had a chance to do this interview. But I do want to share this information with you because they have some events coming up that you might be interested in. The Mendocino Dance Project will perform their most recent work titled Phases at the Mendocino Theatre Company on December 9th, 10th, and 11th at 7.30 p.m. And tickets are available by going to mendocinotheatre.org or by calling their box office at 937-4477. This uh, performance Phases is a reflection of the past year and a half and explores themes related to this strange and unusual time. There's joy, frustration, isolation, and humor as we settle into a new way of living. And just a little bit of information about the Mendocino Dance Project. They, here's what they say about themselves. Uh, a, a Mendocino Dance Project is a dynamic and athletic dance company on the Mendocino Coast that creates dances inside theaters and in outside spaces on and off the ground. They are committed to helping arts thrive in small rural communities, bringing inspired and original work to local and regional audiences and providing opportunities for people to participate and engage in the arts. So that's the Mendocino Dance Project. And again, if you're interested in, in tickets for their December 9th, 10th and 11th performances, you can go to mendocinotheater.org. All right. So now I would welcome, like to welcome Jen Dalton for our several times postponed and finally we're here. <laughs> interview. Um, welcome. Well, let me turn your audio on so we can hear you. Welcome, Jen. Thank you so much. Good morning. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yes, I look forward to talking with you uh, about two, two topics today. Um, the Hearthstone Village for Girls. You are a vice president of the organization that supports this village, which has been an ongoing project for many years. And then also we'd like to talk about your book of Butterflies and Bullies, a book for young people. So let's get into talking about um, how, how did you become a, 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 tell us a little bit about Hearthstone Village and, and, and your involvement with it. And Yeah, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, well, first I want to say it's actually perfect that there's this kind of like disaster recovery um, theme for today. Because I think that the work that we do with Hearthstone Village in Haiti and also um, even my book, are really woven into trauma recovery and, and you know, just how do we be, uh, grow resilience within ourselves during hard times. And I'm sure many of our listeners know that Haiti is just, it's not only has been, you know, going through a really hard time, but right now, particularly, it's 
you know, since the assassination of the president and the most recent earthquake and gang violence and kidnappings in the paper. It's just um, we feel ever more committed to supporting the community that we've built there that in some ways we think about as a sister community to Mendocino County. Um, it all began, um, the work in Haiti began over 10 years ago, but the work of Hearthstone Village has been happening in Mendocino County for over two decades. Um, there's a project that um, some women um, who worked at the hospital started in El Cardinal in um, Baja, Mexico, to build a health clinic that turned into a community center. And then when the earthquake happened in 2010 in Haiti, a group of um, nurses and doctors went to Haiti to Port-au-Prince to work um, triage back when uh, it was Ukiah Medical Center and now Adventist Health. Um, and they you know, decided it was actually um, many of your listeners will know um, Lynn Meadows, Lynn mm -hmm. Meadows, Emily Fry, Laura Wedderburn. They were all like, we need to connect with a, an orphanage while we're here and see what we can do to support some of these kids who've been um, impacted by, you know, parents dying, poverty, et cetera, the devastation from the earthquakes. And they essentially through their translator um, at the hospital, connected with several different orphanages and really chose to work with this one in particular because they saw greatest need. And I'm sure there was probably some communication and, you know, other aspects that that led to this partnership with this um, this community of expat Haitians that live in upstate New York that support this um, orphanage called Ravel Matanel Orphanage Foundation in Haiti. And right now, um, you know, at the beginning, the work was really about getting them stabilized and sustainable in their home and getting them fed and making sure they had, um, you know, they were, their nutrition was starting to support them and they were just very malnourished and weren't living in a safe place. But now, 10 years later, you know, our focus is really about education and giving them a stable home life so that they can become, you know, educated citizens of Haiti because they can't leave. You know, there's been a moratorium on it, on um, adoptions from Haiti since the earthquake um, was pretty chaotic and a lot of kids left the country without permission, really. And maybe they had families that wanted them, but through the chaos, you know, a lot of kids left the country undocumented. And so now no kids get to leave the country, from what I understand. And um, so our work has really been about sending them to private schools because all schools in Haiti are private. They don't have public education. You have to pay for it. And when you're living in poverty, um, you know, obviously you can't afford school. And that is why, you know, the graduation rate of, you know, high school students in Haiti is at 10 percent for the whole country. So you can imagine the impact that has. And of course, we focus on girls because educating girls is one of the pathways to ending poverty because they're less likely to, you know, become young mothers or, um, you know, they're they can, they'll like read to their kids. They'll they'll start, you know, creating generations of sustainable, more, um, you know, more solid community that is based in, you know, an appreciation for a peaceful home life and, you know, education. So 
since 2010, we've had 10 girls graduate from high school. And right now we have oh. three in college <laughs> and um, more girls keep coming in. So we've got some toddlers and, and young ones um, in the home right now. But there's about, I think, a total of 33 girls that we support. And we work on the ground with a an education specialist who's like our administrator on the ground. And he monitors where everyone's going to school and making sure that they're doing um education activities that are in alignment with their aptitude and partners with Niv McGivney, who is, um, you know, Ukiah um, local and been around for a long time. And she's an education expert. And so they partnered together to make sure that the girls are, you know, in the right school, doing the right things. If they need tutors, we make sure we get them tutors and, um, you know, make sure they get three meals a day and, are living in a supportive household and we support the staff with salaries and, um, you know, make sure that we're creating, you know, like a, a, a nice community an intergenerational community that supports each other. And uh, it's been very successful. And I've done a lot of research on other orphanage models in Haiti specifically. And I feel like um, based on what I understand, what we're doing is really different because we're educating them outside of the of the home. They're going to school and they're interacting with kids that aren't orphans <laughs> and, um, you know, getting to go to swim teams and dances and computer classes and basketball games and things like that, that, you know, they probably wouldn't be doing if we were just bringing teachers into the orphanage, which is a common practice. And then we also support them after they turn 18, because um, typically what happens if, is that if you're in an orphanage situation, you have to leave at 18. And a lot of kids um, in Haiti aren't done with school at 18. I mean, we've had 18-year-olds who are still in junior high uh, because they started school so late. And um, so oftentimes these kids are just put on the street and said, good luck. But we don't do that. We, we support them until they're complete with their education or if they um, want to get a job. We're in partnership with another house that they can live in as adults that is supported by another organization um, and just, you know, help make sure that they're growing into uh, responsible young women and in some way and in a way that works for them. And, um, yeah, it's just been a really rewarding piece of work that I've been doing for the last five years. And uh, I've been to Haiti three times, and it's just really sad to know that it's just really unsafe for us to go there now, and not just for us, but also for our community there. It's, it amazes me. I had, I had Lynn, on, Lynn Mendez on many years ago when this effort first started, and it just amazes me to see, uh, you know, the, that the community has stuck with this project and has continued to support it and that it's so successful. That's so wonderful to hear. Yeah, I mean, Lynn is a visionary and she's really been a driving force behind all this. And, you know, she hasn't been on the board for a while because I know she's been busy with her palliative care work. But um, the women who have, you know, been kind of the foundation of this work, and many of them are still participating, Niv McGivney, Emily Fry, Laura Wetterburn, Deborah Mead was a big part of things for a long time. These women, to me, as elders in my life, have been abundantly inspiring as women. Oh, and I'm sorry, Juanita Joy Rydell and Serena Miller have been, you know, abundantly inspiring as, you know, women who are leaders and doers and are just unstoppable. They just they don't let anything keep them from 
continuing with this work. And I think so much of it just comes from their love and our love, you know, for not just for this community of people there, but just for the world. And it just so happens that this community in Haiti has become the focus of the work that we've been doing. Um, but it's just, yeah, just feeling very loving towards what's possible for people and seeing the results of having girls graduate from high school, which is, you know, as I mentioned, only 10% of the entire population graduates. It's like, I really feel like we're doing something here that is going to make a difference for Haiti in general. I mean, definitely for these girls, um, but potentially I mean, just the possibility for the difference it can make for Haiti and the ripple effect of that keeps us going. Speaking of keeps us going, uh, you know, when you when I hear you talk about projects like like the Hearthstone Village for Girls, that's what keeps me going. That's what has kept me going doing this radio program for all these years because I love being able to help get the word out about people really making a difference in our community. And this has been one of those projects that has made an amazing difference and an amazing group of people that has that has stuck with it. Um, and, and one of the reasons I love getting the word out is because I know that there are many people in our community who, who like to support uh, projects that that are in our community, you know, that are that are based on on local local commitments to helping each other. So I, I'm I'm wondering um, how can people who are now inspired by this great story you've just told us, how can they help out in terms of supporting the Hearthstone Village for Girls in Haiti? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I you know, it's I mentioned this group of women that are on the board that you know support the nonprofit piece of things, but. There are hundreds of people in Mendocino County that are supportive all the time of the organization, not just through um, our fundraisers that we do several times a year, but um, and you know as donors of things for our auctions and um, just uh, you know just supporting the work by being you know friends and, and just giving money here and there, which is always possible. Um, but we, our biggest um, support group are our education sponsors. And right now I think we have about 80 and the majority of them are in Mendocino County. And what you do um, as an education sponsor is that you commit yourself to a girl, um, you know, a year at a time. And the cost is anywhere between $700 a year, and we we'll, we do monthly, you know, can divide that into monthly donations, but, or you can split it with a friend, um, you know, and you have a special relationship with one of the girls, and, um, you know, you write to them, you hear about their educational progress, um, a lot of education sponsors have gone to Haiti and hung out and, um, you know, been an integral part of, um you know, just this kind of like abundant love scene that I, it's the way I look at it. It's just, there's just so much um, joy that comes from this work. And, um, you know, we, like I just said, we have like lots of fundraisers every year. Lately, for the last four fundraisers we've done, we've done them online. Um, they've been online auctions and they've been so successful. I just, you know, shout out to everybody who's participated to keep this going. When the pandemic hit, we were just like, what are we going to do? You know, we've been relying on these like in-person events for decades, you know, gathering at the Fry uh, Vineyards and having this big Taste of Autumn event. And it's always been such a great way to get families and folks in the community together. Um, and it's been a very successful fundraiser for us, but um, the online stuff, people have really taken to it and, and participated in ways that have really helped us get going this year. Um, I mean, obviously, people can learn more by going to our website, 
which is hearthstone-village.org. And there, there's a donate tab where you can learn about, um, you know, participate in Amazon Smile. You know, list Hearthstone Village as one of your, um, you know, nonprofits that you donate to. I mean, we get a little bit of money from that every month. You can also go to the Solar Living Institute's website, um, solarliving.org, I believe, and take a solar class through the website. And we get dividends from that, thanks to John Schaefer and Nancy why am I forgetting Nancy's last name? But anyway, John Schaefer and Nancy, they, um, at the closing of the Solar Living Institute, they donated um, some of their um, proceeds from the nonprofit to uh, Hearthstone Village and to space. And um, so we split the assets of that nonprofit organization. And one of the assets was um, the dividends that come through from this um, online solar uh, installation classes and, and certifications. And that's, that's been a really huge help for us during, um, this time too. So I guess it's been happening since September. Um, and, um, yeah, or you can just donate through our website and become a monthly donor or, um, you know, we have two different funds. Essentially there's a general fund that supports the functioning of the home and the, and the staff. And then there's the education fund. Um, and we also have just started a higher education fund for people who want to contribute to um, the girls, you know, that are going to college and the, the random miscellaneous expenses that come with that from everything from, you know, books and, and, and transportation and computers and, you know, just all the activities of college life. It's very different from, you know, pre-college life and that website um, again is hearthstonevillage.org yeah it's h-e-a-r-t-h-s-t-o-n-e dash village.org okay so and, the dash yeah. mm -hmm. the dash is important yeah. <laughs> but if you typed in hearthstone village you probably yeah, find it too right? yeah but there's also apparently a, like an apartment complex somewhere oh. actually in santa rosa <laughs> that's also called hearthstone village so it's not that one it's uh -huh. the other one with right. you know so um but yeah I, and you can always also email us there's a contact sheet on the website and just send us an email and we can put us on put you on our mailing list and then you can hear all about all the different activities that happen throughout the year and I'd get like, to see photos and okay didn't mean to interrupt you <laughs> oh no it's fine i could talk forever so <laughs> please interrupt <laughs> and i've had like four cups of coffee this morning so. oh goodness <laughs> that's okay. i'd like to let you know dear listeners that you are listening to wild oak living this is johanna wild oak and i bring you this program every other thursday from 9 to 10 a.m it alternates with the cannabis hour Today, we are talking about uh, several things. Right now, we're talking with Jen Dalton, who is the Vice President of Hearthstone Village and Proprietor of Kitchen Table Consulting. Um, and uh, she is talking to us about the Hearthstone Village for Girls in Haiti. And we're, we're about to shift gears, I think, in, in a couple of minutes to talk about uh, her book um, of Butterflies and Bullies, a book for young people. And then later in the hour, we're going to be talking with Danila Sands, who is the Director of Disaster Resources at the United Disaster Relief of Northern California. And we're going to be talking about their new resource center in Ukiah here. So... Um, it, it, it's it's up to you, you know, how much time we spend on Hearthstone Village and how much time we spend about talking on your book. If you want to talk some more about Hearthstone Village, we can. Otherwise, we could shift gears and talk about your book. 
Um, I mean, I think just, you know, and just to close things up with her Hearthstone Village, um, I just want to express our abundant gratitude to the community of Mendocino County. I don't, you know, thank you isn't enough. The word gratitude isn't enough. I mean, if it weren't for, um, you know, folks in Fort Bragg and folks in Albion and folks in, you know, Wallala and, and the Anderson Valley and Redwood Valley and Ukiah, I mean, Willits, et cetera, like, this really is a community effort. And those folks who are involved in this work, I, I hope that what we're doing is providing a sense of like a sister city, you know, some kind of um, connection to the world outside of where we live. And, um, you know, giving people an avenue for sharing their abundance and getting, I, I hope, you know, abundant feelings of, you know, love and contribution and compassion and, and all of those kinds of things in return and knowing that they truly are making a difference. But we would not be able to do it without our community here. There's just no way. It has become this, um, yeah, this, this beautiful um, act that our community has taken on. And so, you know, to those who are a part of it, thank you so much. To those who want to become a part of it, please come join us. <laughs> Hearthstone-village.org. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, you know, and, and I came to this work because I've been through the years working in a lot of different uh, girl empowerment um, programs from like Girls Inc. to um, I lived in San Francisco for a while and participated in an organization that I'm forgetting the name of, but essentially we supported urban girls on going on camping trips and like for like two weeks at a time and like teaching them wilderness skills and, you know, how to survive and, and mostly how to communicate with one another. And that's been my work has been um, outside of kitchen table consulting, which is really about local food systems and um, facilitating groups to be more collaborative. Um, has been about this is kind of side project of passion around, you know, girls and women um, becoming better friends to themselves and to one another. And, you know, as you mentioned, I recently published a book. Um, it's called Of Butterflies and Bullies. And it was inspired by my own experience being bullied in fifth grade. And I wrote it over the course of 10 years in my 20s. And because I was going through a whole healing process around my experience having been bullied. I mean, it, when you're bullied as a child, it impacts you as an adult for a long, long time. And it becomes something those bullied girls and boys out there know that it's, you either have to deal with it or it's going to haunt you <laughs> and follow you around for the rest of your life. And it impacts self-esteem and, you know, your ability to complete, you know, feel confident in school and in work and, um, it can impact your health. It can lead to, um, you know, alcohol and drug abuse. Um, and it has certainly led to all of those things for me. And so, I felt like um, I wanted to write a story about how you overcome it or deal with it because those stories weren't available to me when I was young. And I was very inspired by Judy Bloom. And, um, you know, I wrote what, you know, you've mentioned it's for young people. I wrote what I thought was a book for junior high students, and it is totally appropriate for junior high students. But the people who've been resonating with the book the most over the last year have been women my age, women in their 40s and 50s, who did not have an opportunity to process their own experiences um, as either the bully or the bullier or the bystander. 
and read my book and it's igniting a lot of nostalgia and I think also has become a catalyst for some healing and some alchemizing of some of these emotions that um, women my age, you know, maybe haven't had time to process um, as much as I have, which has been through years of therapy and writing and journaling and, um, you know, really on it, like working on it very um, concertedly. So anyway, I went through a whole process um, after I finished the book. Um, I had an agent and, you know, we tried to sell it to a publisher and it just didn't happen. And then, um, you know, the pandemic hit and I had something, needed something to do. And so I self-published my book. And I've been on a year-long um, journey of promoting it and getting feedback on it and putting it out there in the world and feeling all those emotional feelings that you feel when you're, you know, being really um, vulnerable out there in the world. <laughs> I mean, the story has become very fictionalized at this point, but it's funny. I, I don't know if I had, would have been ready in my late 20s, early 30s to talk about the topic the way that I feel like I can talk about it now, um, you know. Isn't it funny how the universe yeah. works sometimes? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm, and I'm having so much fun talking about it now, whereas probably, you know, 15 years ago, it would have just been, I may have cried every time I talked to someone about it. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, the book is available as an ebook, audio, um, and um, paperback, and you can find it at butterfliesbullies.com. Um, the audiobook, I'm reading it. <laughs> right. <laughs> and that has been also a very interesting process of, you know, reading my own story and, and really getting, you know, the power that our narratives have for us and how sharing our stories over and over again and actually talking about them or writing them down can help transform them into, you know, either a healing process or, something that is just much more empowering for us as opposed to being um, feeling like a victim of it, which is how I felt for a really long time. So, um, you know, my, my aim with this work is to really help women and girls heal from their own um, experiences. And, you know, I hope that that's what it's doing. At least the feedback I'm getting is that it is. And, you know, I feel in so many ways that it is very tied into the work I've been doing with Hearthstone Village and, and you know, kind of trauma recovery in general. And, um, and empowering girls. girls, empowering yeah, girls. Yeah, because yeah. if we're not doing the work as, you know, girls and women to heal um, from the things that have traumatized us in life, then we're going to continue to traumatize our children and um, other children. And, and if we're going to, you know, change the world and make it into something that is more beautiful and more peaceful, then I think women have, we have, a, we have some healing to do ourselves so that we can empower our younger generations. I'm just as as you're describing how you went through this process of first writing it and then it sat for a while, you know, because the universe was guiding you to let you know that you weren't ready to proceed. I think, and uh, and then um, and then you know the whole process of self-publishing, reading it and reading out loud, you know, as you recorded the audiobook, and then now you know being out in the world and talking about it. Um, that's, uh, that sounds like it's kind of a healing process in itself. Absolutely. And there have been so many times when I've been confronted by, you know, that artistic vulnerability where, you know, you put yourself out there and some people have not resonated with the book and, 
I mean, it's been like a stab in the heart. And then I'm like, oh, but wait, this is the bullied girl in me reacting to this, but I'm not her now. Like, who am I? Who am I becoming in the telling and sharing of the story? And it's really helped me peel back some of the layers that I thought I had healed. But, you know, as anyone going through a healing process knows, it's like once you've healed something, something else arises that needs your attention. And it's, you know, now many years later is, is giving me, um, yeah, some like new strength and new avenues for growth that I didn't even know would be a part of the process. So it's been challenging and, and fun. And, you know, as someone who's really into to personal growth and spiritual growth, it's definitely been a personal and spiritual emotional ride. <laughs> and, um, but I really appreciate it. In, in, in uh, self-publishing and, and, you know, getting the word out about your book, do you also uh, connect with uh, groups of girls or schools or organizations? How do you? I, I think that will start to happen a little bit more once the pandemic um, eases. I mean, and hopefully, fingers crossed, that happens. Um, mm -hmm. I've been mostly doing podcast interviews. Mm -hmm. And that's been a really, really fun way to be in communication and conversation around it and, and a variety of different podcasts from ones about women and creativity to mental health to, um, you know, just people who like to interview writers and the writing process. And um, I was even on a podcast um, that will hopefully launch soon called Who Will Save Generation X? <laughs> it's like a trivia show about you know, the 80s. My book is set in the 80s. And um, like I said, it's very nostalgic. And um, hopefully I will save Generation X. <laughs> that, so. It's interesting that you talk about talk about the 80s, because I'm just realizing that you are the age of my daughter and that that there might be there might be some connections there as well, in terms of, you know, what people at during that was a, a, an especially narcissistic decade. And um, well, yeah, in a time when, you know, you would come and complain maybe to your friends or your teachers about being bullied and they'd just say, well, suck it up. Right. You know, that's just what childhood is about. And, you know, one of the, um, the podcasts I was on was called Anti-Bullying 101. And Jim Burns is the host. He's a very, he's an expert in bullying behavior and has wrote, written essentially a textbook for teachers and administrators about it. And, um, you know, we talk a lot about, and I, a lot of people talk now about how this is not normal behavior. This is, this is a behavior that is learned through the generations. It's also, um, the bully tends to have, you know, come from, you know, a place where they feel disempowered. And so how, um, how can we begin to, you know, build confidence in young people and, you know, have them feel that their their expressions are valued and that they also have boundaries around how you behave and how you treat other people. And so I think, you know, back in the 80s, we weren't as evolved as we are now. And I think kids are getting a lot more support, especially with um, cyberbullying. Such a big That's a whole new area that has been added and, since then. Yeah. It's a yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, things have changed and um but it's still something that needs to be addressed and I'm grateful to be a part of the conversation that's keeping the topic alive. 
Let me just take a moment to let our listeners know uh, that you are listening to Wild Oak Living here on Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, KZYXNZ. This is Johanna Wild Oak. This program comes to you every other Thursday from 9 to 10 a.m. Right now, I'm, my guest is Jen Dalton, and we are talking with her about her book, uh, uh, Butterflies and Bullies, a self-published book based on her own experience. Um, I'm one, and I'm wondering, um, like, uh, you know, Obviously, we could talk about this topic for hours, but uh, you know, if if you were if 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 there are people, parents, you know, and children who have children who are being bullied, what would be some advice that you would offer, or some feedback, or some guidance? Well, some of the biggest um, advice that's out there around you know being a parent of a bullied child is to listen to them and not dismiss what their experience is. And, and again, too, I feel like, you know, parents my age are a lot more um, skilled at listening to their kids, not all, but mo- a lot, and more so than we were back in the 80s. We were just like, whatever, you'll be fine. It's like, no, actually hear their story and listen to them and find ways to be supportive of them healing through it. And, you know, um, you know, also engaging the teachers and administrators in addressing the bully and, you know, and, but it's also about learning from the bully why they're acting the way they're acting. And their parent may not be as skilled at listening to them, but maybe the administrators or teachers can hear their story. Why are they so angry? Why do they feel so disempowered? And, you know, the authentic dialogue between the bully and the bullier is, or the bullied is really important as well, like an authentic apology, but it needs to be real. Like you can't just say, I'm sorry and move on. It's like, that's not going to work. You know, it has to engage the two in some kind of healing dialogue. Um, But that's, you know, that's like an advanced work. So, (laughs) Um, but the biggest piece is, you know, really being an active listener and giving the child or the teen some space to feel what they're feeling about it. And then in terms of cyberbullying, blocking the bully um, and helping your child identify what is negative and unhealthy behavior online. And then, you know, really working with them to just get that, you know, stop following that person or, or blocking that person or um, disengaging from that conversation, but also encouraging your child to talk about their online experiences um, is really important. And, you know, being involved in the online world as much as you are involved in like, you know, going to your kid's soccer game or something like you have to understand what that world is for them because it's very real. And um, those conversations that they're having uh, online, you know, have potential to be just as unhealthy as um, some bullying conversations that are happening in real life. So, um, you know, teaching them good boundaries around that and how to speak up for themselves and encourage them in them to feel um, confident in who they are. So. Yeah, and exactly. I was just going to say, uh, because sometimes the challenge is that is maybe the child either doesn't realize they're being bullied or maybe they do realize it, but they're afraid to tell their parents because maybe they were brushed off in the past or maybe somebody yeah. didn't listen to them. So that's that's a an, an, an situation that can present a challenge for well, them. Well, yeah, I mean, and we can talk about it forever and we should stop so that you can address your next guest. But, you know, I was bullied as an adult and I didn't even know until friends were like, I think you're in a, an abusive relationship with this friend. And I was like, oh, really? Because 
I am used to, or at the time, I was very used to feeling crappy with friendships. <laughs> and I just needed someone to say to me, this doesn't seem like a healthy relationship. Like, how's it feeling for you? So a similar thing can happen, you know, if you see your child feeling, looking really depressed or, I mean, granted, it's the pandemic has made everyone feel depressed, but, you know, abundantly, um, you know, feeling uncomfortable with their friendships, et cetera, then have a conversation with them and continue doing it until they share. Speaking of having a conversation and continue doing it, I think I would like to come back, have you back in the new year, and maybe we'll do a, a whole program about this topic and invite, you know, invite some young people, maybe invite others to join us to talk about this. I would love that, this. and yeah. I can absolutely suggest also some counselors at the school that are um, really passionate about the topic, Great. or at least at Ukiah. Great. We will do that. We will continue this discussion. Okay. Thank Great. you well, thank so you. much, Jen Dalton, for making us aware of this this topic and the, and the resources, the book that you offer. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. So again, the book is called Of Butterflies and Bullies. And what's the website again? Butterfliesbullies.com. Butterfliesbullies.com. All the best with that. All the best with all your work. And thank you for being on Wild Oak Living today, Jen Dalton. Thank you so much. Have a beautiful day. Thank you. Bye-bye. You are listening to Wild Oak Living, and we're going to shift gears now, and we're going to be talking with Danila Sands, who has just joined us. She's the Director of Disaster Resources uh, of uh, with the organization United Disaster Relief of Northern California. Hello. Hi, Danila. We're, we're, um, and we're going to be talking about uh, a new resource center that this organization has opened in a place that I know very well because I use because I've taken all my dogs <laughs> all my dogs there for years and years and years at the at the former Mendocino Animal Hospital uh, in Ukiah and uh, in on on Airport Road. Uh, so first of all, welcome Danila. Thank you for joining us this morning. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I appreciate this opportunity. All right. Um, I, I know we uh, there was a there was a, a brief news piece uh, about about what your work and also I found an article a recent article in the Ukiah Daily Journal so some of our listeners might be familiar already with what you're doing but just uh, let's start out by giving us a synopsis of what your organization is and what you're doing in Ukiah and and maybe your association with it. Okay, well United Disaster Relief of Northern California is a disaster resource center. Uh, we are fiscally sponsored by North Coast Opportunities, so we run as a nonprofit. We're all volunteer run, uh, no paid staff, and we've been operating into our fifth year now. Some of our volunteers have been helping since the Valley Fire in 2015. So we advocate for our clients. We make sure that they know all about the resources available to them, and then we help them access those for free. Uh, we find them rentals or trailers, and we help them with that paperwork as well. Uh, we go through any kind of roadblocks or red tape they're having to struggle with. And then we also have a resource center here. So there's a free store of shelves and racks full of free items for them that are either donated by the community uh, or nonprofits in the community or brought in by semis. So there is just an array of items from them, from household to furniture, new clothes, shoes, everything that, you know, they have lost in their home. So they can save that money for, you know, gas and other expenses. How, how, um, 
what what kind of disaster do you i mean how do how do people connect with you what is what uh you know i, I was probably i'm assuming it was probably primarily initiated by the fires in our area right but you're not limited to disaster victims for a fire right uh correct so we help out with any disaster either it be a natural disaster or individual uh disaster so they can come to us and register with proof of loss, a photo ID, or refer to us from some agencies such as North Coast Opportunities, Catholic Charities, Red Cross, um, just some of the partners that we work with. So wildfires is one of the significant disasters that we assisted with, but we've also assisted with the Guerneville floods, the snowstorm that happened um, in January around here. We had several hundreds of trees that fell due to the heavy weight of the snow. Uh, we had a client that a tree crushed his trailer. Um, he had to relocate and replace things, so we were able to assist him. Uh, COVID-19, the pandemic, we've shipped off N95 masks, sanitizer, um, all those other supplies in regards to that to several areas in Northern California, medical offices, nurses, doctors, and then local um, hospitals and clinics as well. And is... is uh is the when you're talking about disaster relief <clears throat> does it have to be like a declared disaster that people are associated with to have help from you or is it also on an individual basis correct so we help out with the individual uh, structure fires we get referrals from red cross mendocino and lake county um, all throughout the year you're going to see a, and hear a lot about that in the winter time people might not have cleaned their chimney properly uh, kitchen fire during the holidays uh, you know, electrical, all sorts of things uh, can cause a house fire. So we will definitely, Red Cross will refer them to us if someone had lost their house in a fire um, or a flood, you know, a broken water line and their whole house is ruined by water. We can help them with that as well. Earthquakes, we haven't had many of them around here locally, but um, if something was to happen again, like Napa, uh, we would be able to help out with that as well. So it's so it, it's uh, it's associated with uh, some kind of um, act of nature event, I, w I would guess, or or like how do you define disaster? A disaster is something that you know, at no fault of their own, they've been a victim of it mm -hmm. by you know a fire, a flood, you know, earthquake. Those, nat those natural disasters, if you will, but it also can be something that someone has accidentally caused. We just wouldn't be able to hit assist somebody that has done something criminally intent. Okay. So if someone, you know, accidentally uh, caused a fire by leaving something on the stove, uh, then we would, you know, but they've lost everything and due to that fire, we would be able to help with them, you mm -hmm. know, and we, we've helped people in the past where they're, you know, their work van, you know, they were the main person that provided for the family and every single expensive work tool was in that van and it was an engine fire and everything is gone, you know, and they didn't have enough insurance. Um, that, that is a significant loss for that family. So we would be able to help with them. Um, if somebody comes to us with some other type of loss or trauma that is not associated with these disasters that we described, we do refer them to other places. Mm -hmm. But we do have a, a long list of other referrals that we can refer them to. What are, what are some of the most common needs that you see when, when individuals or families come to you? Um, I would say first, you know, clothes, uh, undergarments, you know, bras, underwear, and socks, brand new. Mm -hmm. um, those are very important for them. Nice pair of tennis shoes, work boots, uh, gloves, 
things to, you know, get back on the property, uh, sifters and that sort of thing. Um, but also hope, reassuring them that, you know, we have a couple volunteers here that have lost their house in fires that are now volunteers, but they were former clients. So reassuring them that they will recover, that it may be a long process. Short-term recovery is one to three years. Long-term is three to five years. Uh, Paradise, they were talking about uh, five to 10 years due to the infrastructure there. So, you know, in most uh, donation centers, you know, we're a disaster resource center, but most donation centers only set up for a couple of months. And if you're in a, if you're in a trailer or someone's home, you don't have the ability to store all those material items that people are giving to you. So, we, you know, we, we help them for the, up to three years. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do one-on-one service with them and remind them about all the grants that are available to them or other resources and keep an ongoing list and checking in with them, you know, a lot of one-on-one work with them. That seems like an important aspect uh, that, that I that I hadn't thought about until you mentioned it. Is is that you know there's the initial, you know, uh, meeting someone's need just so that they can you know function in daily life again, like you said, clothes, shoes, undergarments, that kind of thing. But then you know you're you're not even as if you're recovering from a disaster, your needs sort of evolve, right? And and some needs you're not even aware of initially. Correct. Yeah, they do evolve and slowly, like you might want a rental now, you know, you might, or you might be moving back on the property. Now you have a well pump that needs to be replaced. You know, you're, you've got to get water back up and running. What about power? Are you going to solar? Are you going to PG&E? What's the cost associated with that? And what's the requirements? Mm-hmm. And what's nice about our center is we've helped out with over 30 disasters. And so many, and if, they, if we're helping them for up to three years, you might have someone that was impacted in 2020, for example, and now you have 2021, and they can relate to each other what worked. You know, oh, now you're going through that process. This is what I did. This is what worked. This is what didn't work. So it's really nice that they can kind of assist each other here. And it also sounds like, you know, I remember when when we first had started having the big fires, the Valley Fire in, in, in uh, Lake County, that was the first one I sort of got involved in, in terms of, uh, you know, I tried to put together a resource list because, you know, nobody know, knew how to respond at that point. And, and so, you know, I was, I was busy for several days frantically putting things, you know, on, on the station website, you know, resources that people could avail themselves of. But what I noticed, you know, for the first few years when we had these disasters is it was always ad hoc. You know, there was a disaster and then everything would ramp up. Uh, you know, and then it would just slowly fizzle out until the next disaster, and then we'd ramp up again. And, and with this situation that we're in with climate crisis, you know, disaster is going to be almost like a normal thing, uh, unfortunately, but, you know, I think yeah. it is. Um, and so it sounds like your organization can provide a more sort of enduring long-term support infrastructure for that situation. I'm wondering if you can talk a bit about that. Yeah, um Absolutely. We used to call it the new norm. Now we just call it the norm. You know, th- <laughs> right. this, is, this is what it is. And, yeah. uh, and it's happening every year. And the fires are getting larger and larger. You know, we used to never hear about complexes, you know. And mm-hmm. one year there was the August complex, LNU complex, the Santa Cruz complex, and so on. And uh, last year, the same thing, you know. Dixie fire was, you know, two or three fires combined. 
and so on. That that becomes the new norm, you know, the new, you know, it is the norm now. And um, we strongly believe in why would you wait till after a disaster to be prepared? Why would you set something up that's already working? So, you know, we have the infrastructure now. We have it in motion. We have the partners that we are working with. You know, we, we work with BOAD. You know, we, we work with all the other foundations and the community partners, the nonprofits, all of them. They know who we are now because we've done this so many times. And they, they, they know that they can send clients to the Disaster Resource Center and that whatever resources are available, they can let us know and vice versa. You know, we're here. We're set up. We have the shelves the racks, the volunteers, the clients are ongoing. We have this beautiful building now. So, you know, we're going into our fifth year. It's taken years to get to where we are today. Um, So, you know, I put a call out when we were in transition from the Red Valley place. We were there for three years and we were in an old warehouse with no running water and and barely a restroom for some of the volunteers. And um, a lovely lady and their partners here that own this building were so grateful to give us this opportunity to be in this new building. Like you said, the old Mendocino Animal Hospital at 1240 Airport Park Boulevard, um, and it's 7,200 square feet. So we have rooms that are designated for everything that has a purpose, and everything flows here so nicely. It's organized. Our volunteers feel comfortable to come here now. There's central heating, air conditioning, bathrooms. And because when it's old animal hospital, there's a sink in every room. <laughs> so um, you can wash your hands as many times as you want, especially now with COVID. Um, and our clients feel safe here. There is an office space for them to access computers, internet, papers, documents, absolutely free to them. There's a break room where they can sit down, they can self-care, take some cold water, you know, make a hot chocolate, whatever they need. Um, there's a quiet Zen room, uh, there's a store, there's a washing machine and dryer. So they feel safe. They've been sleeping in their car, which we still have um, clients from the Hopkins fire. They're still sleeping in their car. Uh, you know, we have people that are in these tiny motel rooms. We have people that are, you know, in a, in a spare room in their family's home. We have people that are in trailers right now back on the burned property. There's all different situations for everyone. And to come here and spread you know, spread their wings and feel safe, feel like this is their home too. Um, it's definitely a, you know, a resource center. And so we're, our goal is to keep this building. We don't want to keep moving around. We want to be established and we want the community to know that we're here, we're here to help. The next disaster comes, you know where to go. You and come here and you want to volunteer, great, you know where to come. If you've lost your home anyway, any shape or form, you know where to come. And so we've started the Heart of Gold campaign to raise the $100,000 to secure this building. And, and we feel confident that the community trusts in what we do. And then that, we, they, you know, they're already showing their support. We're already starting to raise those funds. So talk more about the Heart of Gold campaign and how people can participate in that. Yeah, absolutely. So we have underneath North Coast Opportunities, they have a brand new website. Um, so you got to learn how to navigate it again. But underneath Mendocino County or Disaster Response, you can scroll down um, through the fiscal sponsor programs and uh, United Disaster Relief is there and there's a PayPal link. So you can click on, you can make a donation online or you can go to our Facebook page. We have that same link there as well on United Disaster Relief of Northern California. Or you can mail a check to us at UDRNC PO Box 662 
Ukiah, California, 9 has any questions, they can call us at 707-489-3970. I don't know, the internet said it was a little off there, so make sure we're Dan- not that. Dan- Danila, we, we just, I think, had some dropped outs. You might want to repeat the address and the phone number again. Okay. Our physical address or the P.O. Box? Um, either either one. Okay. The P.O. Box is, if you want to mail a check there, it's U-D-R-N-C, P.O. Box 662. Ukiah, California, 95482. Or you can deliver it to the physical address at 1240 Airport, Park Boulevard in Ukiah. And our phone number is 707-489-3970. And you can email us at unitedisasterrelief at gmail.com. United Disaster Relief at gmail.com. And, and, and if you, if you Google United Disaster Relief of Northern California, you'd probably end up on the North Coast Opportunity website, I would assume. So I think we just, we just got our connection frozen. Let me, let me, while we wait for the connection. Ah, there we go. I think it's unfrozen yeah. now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, Danilla. Internet. Yeah. You can, you, if, if you Google United Disaster Relief, you probably see our couple of our recent articles, like you mentioned, you cry to the journal um, or KZYX. I'm so grateful for them as well. Um, and you would get to the North Coast Opportunities. You'd see our Facebook page. Great. Well, we have yeah. a couple minutes left, Janela Sands. If and, and and I would love to, you know, have you fill them with whatever it is that you want to share with us, either about the campaign or what your needs are, how people can support you. Yeah, absolutely. The Heart of Gold campaign is our is our really big focus right now. And if there's any business out there that would like to match funds, um, that would be very helpful for you know us and them as well. Uh, and also upcoming, we're doing an Adopt the Fire Survivor. Christmas event. This is our fifth annual one. So we have approximately eight families that still need to be adopted. They give you the wish list and it's all anonymous for those that want to be anonymous. And um, their items are, um, you know, adopted or sponsored, if you will, and wrapped and brought to us. And then we do a Christmas event with them with Santa and take photos. Some of our families, that's their very first um, family photo. And, um, and sorry, there's someone at the door. <laughs> okay. And uh, so, and then um, that's what we're going to be doing for them as well. We're pretty excited about it. We won't be able to have the spread of food or drinks this year, but we'll send it with them in a big, you know, care package. And um, we just, we love doing that. Um, very appreciative to volunteers. Anybody can come and volunteer. You can volunteer a half an hour a week, if you will, and we'll, we'll make that work. It's pretty exciting. And you can come on down and meet the other volunteers, and they really enjoy what they're doing here. There's a break room, so if you need to take a break and bring a snack, you do that as well. Um, but you meet other people, and it's really, it's really rewarding to help those that are in need, you know, helping them find that perfect shirt, helping them find that coffee pot they've been looking for, um, helping them out with their stuff. And people bring donations in too, so you get to sort that and go through it. So we have we have different things for every person, every need, um, anywhere from light work to answering phones, sitting at the front desk to heavy loads. So we work with our volunteers, and it's same thing. You can email us or come on down for that opportunity as well. Um, but we just we really appreciate the community and every donation they've ever done. Um, anytime they've shared anything um, that our posts or our actual needs list. Uh, we appreciate you, KZYX. We appreciate Joanna, and nice meeting you. And I'm just 
Thank you for having us on the air today. Thank you. You're so welcome. Uh, Danila Sands from the United Dis- uh, Dis- um, I'm sorry, United Disaster Relief <laughs> of Northern California. Uh, and their phone number again is 489-3970. Is that right? That's correct. 489-3970. We're going to get dropped out in a second, so I just want to make sure we get that information in. Thanks for joining us again this morning, Danila Sands, and all the best for what you're doing. Thank you. You have a wonderful day. Thank you. You too. This has been a production of KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. You can check out our website at kzyx.org to find more content like this and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thanks for listening.